To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch buck? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Yo, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So this week, uh, I talk with Chad Riker from Backcountry Rookies Podcast. Um, so th- this is actually on the Backcountry Rookies Podcast. I just thought it was such important information right before season that I wanted to release it to you guys and, and also uh, introduce you to Chad. He's a, a great podcast host and and asked, some, asked the really good questions and, and got the most out of me. So... Uh, this podcast, we talk about uh, archery hits, we talk about uh, losing game animals, and so we talk about a lot of subjects that, that are kind of taboo to the bow hunting world, and, and rightfully so. Uh, you know, I don't want uh, to promote, you know, bad hits or wounding animals or the negative side of archery. But the truth of the matter is, is this stuff does happen, and each and every one of us will be faced with this once in our life. And so if I can discuss it and really give you guys some good tips uh, that'll help you be successful, uh, you know, even in in sometimes in the conversation, uh, you know, ethically, I've thought back about this and, you know, some of these ideas I didn't have time to process. And I mean, I'll let you be your own judge for how I come off or, you know, I'm just, I'm really honest and I'm authentic and that's what this podcast is. And we talk about, you know, some of my biggest failures as a bow hunter, like uh, hitting a, a an animal bad and not recovering them and, and where you go from there or, or how you handle the situation. So um, it it's a... Uh, uh, tough to put this podcast out, but it's really good information from you guys. And like I say, if I can help one of you recover an animal, you know that that isn't hit perfectly, like the podcast is a success. And again, just uh, uh, thanks to to Chad for having me on, asking the tough questions, and putting this information out there. Make sure to check out his podcast, Backcountry Rookies. So we'll get right into this. I just want to thank a couple of my sponsors. Uh, I want to thank Sportsman's Warehouse. Uh, Sportsman's Warehouse, they have a knowledgeable staff on hand in each department from optics to clothing to uh, to rifles to, to they have an archery department and they have everything that you need for backpacking and for hunting. And it's all in a store where you can go in and touch and feel it, try it on, look through it if it's glass, uh, uh, get tripods. I know my buddy Dan had saved his hunt uh, like a couple years ago when we were headed to Arizona. And he didn't have a tripod adapter. And down there, for coos deer or for mule deer, it's all about tripoding up your binos. And so we were able to stop by Sportsman's Warehouse and get one. But they they just have uh, a bunch of items that, that, that you can actually see and talk to a knowledgeable staff. So make sure to check them out. They carry a bunch of brands of our sponsors. Uh, they carry Sitka in there. Uh, Sig Sauer Optics. Uh, they also carry Zamberlin Boots, which is a sponsor for this week. Um, I am absolutely in love with Zamberlin Boots. Uh, Zamberlin, they they build the highest quality boots, and they don't cut corners anywhere in the process with their fabric, with their construction. I I did a podcast with Zamberlin 
uh, a while back, and it absolutely blew my mind some of the things I learned about boots and trying them on and fit and size. But they just they build a great set of boots. So this year, uh, I'm using the the Zamberlin 320 Trail Light GTX, the best lightweight boots I have ever owned. Uh, I've never had a boot that stays waterproof for more than a month. These things are still waterproof from a year ago. Um, absolutely amazing boots. They're lightweight, so they don't wear on you. I always say a pound on the feet is like 10 on the back, so I like these lightweight boots. And they're um, just the, the, the perfect mix between stiffness and support for side healing and on trails. They seem to really... Uh, power you through your stride. I've always believed that in in boots. Um, so they're they're just a great boot. I really like them. I'm also using their shoe this year, their 103 Hike Light RR. So you guys that know me know that I've been a, a tennis shoe guy for years. And Zamberlin builds just a little bit burlier shoe. So it's got hydro block on it. So it's not waterproof, but definitely water resistant and keeps my feet dry with wet grass and things. And then that the shoe is just unreal. Uh, I've also used this shoe for an entire year for working. For I run in them in the winter time. I uh, and then I hunt in them as well. And this shoe has lasted me an entire year. I absolutely love them. I've got a new pair of these I'm using this year. Uh, if you guys are in the market for new boots, new shoes, make sure to check out Zamberlin, and you can find them and try them on at Sportsman's Warehouse as well. Uh, so make sure to give uh, those two companies some love and sure appreciate their support here at Eastman's. Over there at Eastman's, uh, we got some great Beyond the Grid out right now. Uh, Dan Picard's Largest Bull to Date. He was our guest on last week's show. Uh, largest Bull to Date. Uh, great backcountry Wyoming episode. So make sure to check out that and our other episodes. I know Eastman's has slowly been releasing some of my prior films that have been on the Outdoor Channel. Uh, so there was one that got released, uh, a Wyoming hunt that I did, um, and, and a couple other ones. I think there's a caribou and caribou hunt on there. And uh, you can find a couple of them, but that's on our, our YouTube page, uh, Beyond the Grid. Also, make sure to set your DVR for Eastman's Outdoor TV or Eastman's Hunting TV on the Outdoor Channel. I think I mess that up every time I say it. I don't know why I've got a mix up there in my brain, but uh, it, it's Eastman's Hunting TV on the Outdoor Channel. Super proud of last year's elk episode. There's some mule deer episodes floating around there. Uh, just some great content to check out. So that's on the Outdoor Channel. Set your DVR for that. And um, some great magazines hitting the stands. Uh, gosh, these are just our best magazines of the year during hunting season. So uh, got some good, good articles coming up. The next EBJ, which is the Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal. Uh, I have an article that I wrote in there about uh, finding uh, big deer. And so just a great article I was able to pour my heart and soul and been able to turn up some really good deer this year. Uh, just getting back from this hunt in Nevada, it's been um, so fortunate. It's been such a great season so far. I uh, just uh, I went on that that big mule deer hunt, um, able to arrow a nice wide buck there, and then um, I've been helping my buddy Dan had a good elk tag, and so um, been helping him out and putting on a bunch of miles in elevation, and uh, just fortunate to have the time to be out there. It gives me such perspective on my life, so uh, it's just absolutely awesome. But check out everything we have going on out there at Eastman's, including Tag Hub, our internet's research tool. 
And with that, let's get into this podcast. So it's a great one. It's great information for hunting season. There's just um, some great tips in here for making sure that you recover that game animal. Make sure you you make a good shot on them. And um, we definitely talk about some of the darker sides of bow hunting, but, you know, this is the reality of the situation, and it's good information to get out there. Again, thanks to Chad Riker for having me on his podcast, uh, Backcountry Rookies. And with that, let's get into it. So, we've got Chad Riker on, uh, Eastman's Elevated. I'm your host, Brian Barney. Here we go. All right, so this week we've got Brian Barney coming on, and this is a show that I was really excited to, to get put together. We are going to be talking about tracking animals and the importance of and sort of the lows that can come out of possibly not recovering an animal. Brian was willing to come on and talk about this topic today, and I do appreciate that because I think some people don't want to admit failure or shortcomings and and luckily we have brian who said he was ready to come on and talk about it with all of that being said brian why don't you take a minute to introduce yourself and talk a little bit about your podcasts and the stuff you have going on for eastman's thanks so much chad thanks for having me on um yeah so so i work for eastman's um see i'm just a uh, an average blue collar guy that moved out west at about 19 years old and immersed myself in in western hunting i fell in love with bow hunting and i went bow hunting exclusive for western game for elk and mule deer antelope uh and and then have traveled around the world now to new zealand and hawaii alaska and different places but uh i just absolutely love bow hunting uh i love the the blue collar opportunities i still own a construction business i'm a i'm a carpenter by trade uh, but I, but I've worked really hard at my craft at bow hunting at at learning these different areas, different states, different species, honing my skills to where I can be consistently successful. And then I've been able to get this this writing gig for Eastman's, and then um, you know through that that led to some filming. And then I started the Eastman's Elevated podcast, which is a hunting exclusive podcast that. I've been running now for about five years or so, and then through that, I started another podcast about my other passion, uh, fly fishing, uh, so that's Eastman's Flycast, so now you can you can hear me talking about fly fishing, talking about hunting, but uh, man, I'm getting excited. I'm, I'm uh, really, uh, I, I appreciate you having me on and talking about it, as it is such a taboo subject uh, about hitting game animals and tracking and, and what you do after the shot, and it's such a a huge important part of the uh, of the puzzle um you know being able to put that together and and track down your game animal and recover it because you know the the hunt doesn't end at the shot uh you you really got to keep your calm pay attention to the details and then track down your animal and so uh man i just can't thank you enough for having me on chad absolutely and i thank you for for being willing to come on and, and talk about it um, we'll get to the tracking stuff here in a minute, but I, so one thing I wanted to touch in the beginning is you, you hear this a lot. And then of course, if you're, if you're into social media or Facebook or whatever, you see this statement often, and I want you to expand on it. And that statement is, it's all about shot placement. Somebody will say, let's say, uh, what arrow setup do I need in order to kill an elk? And then you always get that one guy that jumps in and says, ah, arrows don't matter. It's all about shot placement. Well, yes, I think that's true. It is all about shot placement, but 
there's so many circumstances that can come into play that can make shot placement not ideal. A twig in the way of the branch, wind that you didn't account for, shaky legs because you just climbed 500 feet to find the animal. Um, how do you feel about that when you see that statement that, oh, it's all about shot placement? Oh, it, it rings home for me. I may have been that guy on the internet typing that. Um, <laughs> I, I am yeah. all about shot placement, and that's both with a bow and, and with a rifle. I don't hunt with a rifle anymore, but I hunt with my family a lot that hunts with rifles, and uh, I have a lot of experience. And, and, and through Western hunting and immersing myself in all these different species and states and things, I've seen about every scenario you can imagine go down. I've seen, you know, I've harvested hundreds of animals with my bow and arrow. And, and um, you know, I've, I've also been with buddies as they've harvested animals and had bad situations arise. And so what I what it always comes down to is shot placement. I mean, it, it is absolute science. You know, you can have any broadhead on the front of that arrow, uh, you know, different arrow weights. I mean, it definitely there there's different... Arrow weight. There's different specifics that'll play a role in harvesting that animal, whether it's penetration or whether it's damage. But really, it all comes down to shot placement. It comes down to building a forgiving bow setup that you can shoot accurately, that you can put that arrow in the middle. Man, it's a game of inches, and you want to be on the right side of that equation. If you get lungs, heart, or liver, those animals die. If you don't get lungs, heart, or liver, uh, you know... You, you maybe have a 10% chance of recovering that animal. And it it's so important to place a, a right shot. And on elk, you'll hear, hear people say that, you know, they're a big target, they're big vitals, which their vitals are a 12-inch big target that you can hit. Their lungs, to the, when you measure it, it, it's 12 inches at the smallest spot, where like a whitetail is 8 inches. Um, so you have a big vital to hit. But the tendency on elk is to kind of throw up a shot or rush a shot on them when elk are such giant, powerful animals that if you don't put a perfect shot on an elk, you don't get them. And so on elk, you know, I'm almost more disciplined at trying to get the right shot angle, not forcing a shot through branches, uh, trying to trying to really put my pin in the middle of those vitals and execute. And I'll tell you, it's easy sitting here on a podcast talking about how to make a perfect shot. But in the fog of adrenaline, when you've worked your entire year to get this opportunity and that big buck or that big bull standing out in front of you, uh, it's one of the toughest things on planet Earth to keep your cool, keep your calm, and deliver a perfect arrow like you've been practicing for all year. And so it's really about preparing for these moments, not trying to force it, relax, and letting that pin settle. And and to me, I mean, it, it doesn't upset me when I see it because I believe they're right. It's all about shot placement. Yep, I agreed. And I, I think that's there's a lot of practice that gets involved there that needs to be done. I know just, just the other day I went out and I found a couple of cool spots on the archery range that I go to where I had to shoot at steep downhill angles. And I would try and and steep uphill angles, and I would and and then I would try to put the targets to where they were sort of quartering to or quartering away, and just trying to figure out how to make that perfect shot. Because sometimes I know when you're coming from out east and you're heading west, you don't get those big mountain shots, and you don't get those angles that you can shoot at. So I think it's important to practice at those types of challenges so that you know exactly where to aim when the time comes 
Oh, you're spot on, Chad. Yeah, practice how you play. Like I get my bows all dialed in, and then like you try to practice any scenario you're going to come across. So just like you say, uphill, downhill, uh, quartering away shots, broadside, and then you know it's it's way different in the mountains on uneven terrain than it is in your backyard in flip flops. You know, it's way tougher to <laughs> to make a shot like uh, when when you don't have that good base underneath you or when you're from your knees. And so it's important as you're you're practicing to practice like you play and shoot with a pack on your back. Shoot from the kneeling position. Shoot the angles. Shoot with a jacket on. I find that any cold weather hunts, if I'm wearing more than you know, just like a hoodie, uh, my my uh, my bowstring will slap my sleeve and my shot will go low. Now I've had to learn that the hard way, shooting at animals in the winter time with big jackets, because I didn't practice how I played shooting in bigger jacket jackets. So it's important to practice that stuff now. And, and now I have an arm guard everywhere I go. I've got one on my truck, one on my pack. One, you know, I've got them stashed everywhere, so I never am without an arm guard because I know with a heavy jacket on, I'll slap my sleeve and my shot will go low. And so, yeah, it's important, just like you're saying, practice like you play so when you get into those scenarios, you've been there before and you know you can deliver a good arrow. Yeah, yeah. So I want to go back to something because I'm a little bit confused. Are you telling me that you don't hunt in flip flops or Crocs? <laughs> uh, there was one hunt uh, last year uh, with my buddy Dan. We were headed to Colorado and uh, we were driving through some of Montana antelope country. And I and I glassed out in this spot as we were driving by, and I said, "Oh, Dan, there's a good buck down there, a good antelope buck on public, and he's right over the rise." And so we pulled off the road. And uh, we snuck up to the ledge in flip-flops, me and Dan, and he ended up arrowing that antelope. And so we started our Colorado high country mule deer hunt with a, with an antelope that he arrowed in his flip-flops. So that's the only time I've ever hunted in flip-flops, but it has happened. That's crazy. That's cr- I've got a good bu- – I have a friend of mine that says one of his dreams is to kill a big bull in flip-flops, Bermuda shorts, and a Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> Man, but I, just getting out in the woods like that is hard enough, let alone tracking down a big animal. So, well, um, let's move on to the topic that, that I wanted to talk about, and that's tracking animals. And, and we'll spend some time on this. But the way I kind of want to do this is is we'll talk a little bit about different scenarios. And I have three different scenarios that are probably the most common. Um We'll talk a little bit about it, and then if you could share a story on each one where you where you uh, put your where you were in that situation. Um, the first thing that I, I want to talk about is ideal shot and animal goes down. I know there really isn't a lot of tracking there, but you know that animal maybe it goes a hundred yards and then falls down in some brush and just kind of that little short tracking. How do you deal with that? And then tell us a quick story about that. Yeah, so um, that's always the goal, and it it feels so good when you can place a perfect arrow in the animal. It 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 adds to the experience. It 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 adds to your confidence. The 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 remembering the hunt that way, and so there's just nothing better than sneaking in with a stone's throw and delivering a perfect arrow. And so, you know, I, I've had to learn throughout the years, and and as much as I practice and as much as I shoot with my bow, you know, and as accurate as they can be, you know, it's important to to really set your sights at an effective range. And to me, it's get close and kill them. Like if I can get close where I'm a hundred percent and get set up, you know, I know. 
you know, I'm 100% confident that I can deliver that arrow. Now, that distance is different for everybody. I shoot 365 days a year, and I'm not here to put my maximum distance on anybody else. But I, I think it's important, like, um, with the gear nowadays, like, I just get close and kill them. Now, there is, um, you know, there is getting too close. There is, you know, uh, a pushing to failure. And a lot of guys get caught in this where they keep stalking the animal until they give themselves away and they end up busting that animal. And and I don't like that either. And, and some of my close kills are my my most uh, remembered moments, you know, killing a giant mule deer at 12 yards or killing a bull elk at seven yards. Like I, I love those encounters, but what I try to do is sneak inside my effective range. And then I really like to let the animal make the last move. So I won't push my stock to failure, giving myself away. I'll get into my effective range, you know, 40 yards is where I love it in between 40 and 50. I've killed a lot of animals in there. So I get that close or as close as the terrain will allow, and then I just wait, and I let that animal get up and make the last move and come out, and he may look around with his head up, and like uh, like patience is really deadly in the bow hunting woods, and being patient, waiting for the right shot and the right angle, and also waiting to draw back your bow until that deer isn't looking at you, or that deer has his head down feeding. It's so important, that element of surprise. And I know if I can get those limbs bent back and that animal doesn't know I'm there, I can really settle my pin and make a good shot. And yeah, there's just nothing better than, than lacing an animal with a perfect arrow and ending that hunt. Um, but but you never know that it's a perfect shot. And it, and and weird things can happen on the mountain. I mean, you can center a rib, you can hit a shoulder, you can get a glancing arrow. Like most of the times it's lungs, heart, or liver, or they die. But there are strange things that happen. So after every shot, even if I put a perfect arrow in, I'm not getting too excited. Like I'm, I'm remembering the details. So I, I place that shot, I shoot at an animal. Now as soon as I shoot, like I'm looking for that animal – um, you know, which way is he running? Which way did he go over the hill? I'm trying to keep eyes on him. I'm trying to gather all this information because it's going to be a car wreck after it's done. So you want to remember exactly where you were shooting from, exactly where the animal ran, the last place you saw it, because sometimes these, these blood trails can be tricky. And so you talk about a perfect shot and like, um, you know, there's a couple of years back I was hunting hunting bulls um, here in my home state of Montana and chasing for mature six points. And right at, at last light, the last 10 minutes of light, I got on this herd and I'm working this real nice six point as I'm as I'm stalking them and not letting them know I'm there. And it's he's kind of rutting. There's two six points I'll shoot in there and they're back and forth kind of fighting over these cows. And I end up getting inside a range and I I, I place a good shot on this bull uh, but it was kind of those lower light conditions where I didn't see exactly where I hit him. I heard the arrow hit, executed a good shot, and so I went down, and I, I just couldn't find any blood right where I was at right there. Didn't want to push the bull, and I backed out, and it was going to get cold that night, and I decided, all right, I got to come back in the morning and, and pick up this blood trail. And, um, you know, I came back in the morning, and, and um, gosh, the blood trail was just drip, drop, drip, drop, really tough to make sense of, but I always... You know, the minute you leave the blood trail, the blood trail will lead to your animal. That's what you need to keep coming back to. You don't don't leave it to do a grid pattern, you know, unless that's your absolute last option. It's, you know, because it's so wild which way these blood trails will head. And these elk are so strong. But I, I ended up 
tracking this bull down, finding him early in the morning, and I had made a perfect double lung shot on him. I mean, I couldn't have walked up and placed that arrow any better in that bull, but it was still a really tough blood trail and really tough to track down where that bull went. And, and he probably went a few hundred yards with a double lung shot. They're just extremely tough. And um, so, you know, that's one of those animals where I made a perfect shot, but he didn't fall right in front of me. Like I had to go back and do that CSI, do that, you know, that groundwork and then track him down to my animal that I had harvested and then, um, you know, able to track him down and find him. But, um, man, there's nothing better than making a perfect shot. That's the best case scenario. Yeah, for sure. Uh, before we move on to the next one, this just kind of popped into my head, and I think it's an important it's an important topic to cover, and that is the what the blood looks like on the arrow, so that you can kind of you talk about doing CSI where you're you're trying to really analyze what happened at the shot or at the animal. Can you talk about without having visual representation of these? But what's that blood look like if it's a good lung shot, if it's a heart shot, if it's liver, if it's stomach? Kind of, you know, those those different. How do you analyze that arrow? Yeah, so there, there's different ways to look at those arrows, but I, gosh, I find it that the the blood can be a bit deceiving. And so the one tell for me, like I love to get eyes on the animal I just shot. I love to see where that entrance or that exit is and be able to make sense in my mind where that shot was. But I almost find the blood is a bit deceiving. And, um, you know, definitely if you see guts on the arrow, if you can smell guts, any green on the arrow, you know it went through the guts. Um, but, but it can also, you know, like on a quartering away shot or a lot of times what I find is these animals will roll right as the arrow gets there, almost react to the shot. And you'll find that the arrow took a different path through the animal than the way he was standing there looking at you. And so when I go up to the arrow, um, you know, there, there's some factors like the, the dark red blood can be uh, liver blood. You can see bubbles in the, the blood, which can mean uh, lungs. Usually that lung hit is like a bright red blood. Um, you know, one of the, the tells for me is like um, I want to see good spray out of it. So if it's spraying, you know, out, um, you know, I know I've made a, a good lung hit where it sprang, but I find it a bit deceiving as muscle blood can be deceiving. Uh, you, you know, bone chips in it is definitely not a good sign. Bone chips is that you hit something, but I find that the muscle and the, the lungs and things all kind of bleed similar. And so I, I don't put, you know, I'm looking at the blood and how much I have and how it's spraying out and what sides it's coming out. And definitely if I see a lot of bubbles in it, I'll, I'll think it's, I'll think it's lung blood, or you can see chunks of lung that'll actually come out. You know, that's when I know I've got like a pretty good lung hit on them. Um, but, but I do find the blood to be a bit deceiving. Gotcha. Is there anything else that you're looking at right there at the scene tracks that are digging in? Is, is there anything else that, that can indicate a good shot or a bad shot? Yeah. I mean, the blood trail is number one, the blood trail okay. and how gotcha. much blood you're seeing is, is going to determine whether that animal is going to die or not. He has to bleed to death from an arrow. And so he has to be losing a lot of blood now. Uh, sometimes it takes a bit for that to open up. Sometimes the first hundred yards can be the toughest tracking job because where you hit him, he takes off running. And if you have like a high brisket hit, then you just have an entrance hole, then it's not going to bleed a lot out of there. And so the, the key is just being able to follow that blood trail. But just like you're saying, like, you don't want to mess up your CSI scene when you go in with boot tracks and things, because a lot of times, like where you remember this animal and where you go, 
yeah, a lot of times you're following just on tracks, like tracks of elk going downhill or this deer running until that that wound can open up and really start bleeding. So, yeah, I've had really sparse blood trails that first 100 yards, and that's where it's really important to remember that that car wreck. As soon as you shoot that animal, details, details in your brain. Where was that animal standing? Where did he run? What tree did he go by? Like this this snapshot, this picture you can take in your mind is going to be so valuable when you're trying to track down this animal and trying to find where he, where he leads to. And so you don't want to step all over the scene. You want to get there. And then, yeah, you want to look for these tracks and then you want to put blood to the tracks. Every time you find blood, I like to stick a, like a stick vertical in the ground. So then I can look backwards and I can see the trail and see the direction he's headed. And you almost look through country, like the, the trails or the easiest way through country is a lot of times the way that deer and that elk is going to go. Um, I really like to see them go downhill. I like to see them bed really close to where I shot them. That means they're hurt. If they just take off and they go and they go and they go, um, you know, that's when I start to get worried. When they make it over 400 yards, 500 yards, you know, and they can go a long way with a one lung hit, but that's when I start to get worried. So I want to see them bed right near the site. And it's really important, you know, we all know to give animals 45 minutes. It's a lot easier said than done it's like you get so excited and you think you made a perfect shot and it's like oh i'll just go up there and track a little ways and and then you end up jumping that animal and then they can you can lose that animal or lose the blood trail where if if you just would have let him get sick right there you know he would have died and in the majority of times you make a good shot and that animal is dead within seconds it it wind sprints and it's dead but you're trying to prepare for the worst case scenario you know you just want to take every precaution to make sure that you track that animal up and get them but yeah i'd say it's just csi to pay attention around that scene attracts disturbances and then put blood to those tracks and just try to get on that animal's trail that you just shot but that that first hundred yards can be the toughest right and then another situation that i've seen that's tough is when it's there's an animal and it gets mixed up into a herd so then you're trying to make the track the tracks and there's hundreds of tracks Oh, that's exactly right. Yep. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, when they mix with other animals, and usually where you shoot an animal, there's there's other animals around. Like if you're shooting a bull elk, it's usually those elk have been living in there, so there's a lot of other tracks cutting around and things. And so, yeah, it's, um, it's tough to stay on that same track, and you just want to keep putting blood to that track and, and uh, keep proving that that's the animal that you're after. Uh, and, and a lot of times you get lost. You can't find where the blood trail goes. Maybe it cut back on itself, and sometimes all come back to a spot three, four, five times or spend an hour, and then finally I'll find another drip of blood that leads me to where this bull went or where this buck went. So it can be really tricky, and you just have to keep coming back to the sign. It'll tell you where that bull or buck went, and it it's not always easy. It's like a, a real it's a real skill that's developed, that blood tracking. But be patient. Keep coming back to the scene. The blood trail leads to that animal. Yeah, okay, very good advice. So the next – uh, the next scenario that I wanted to move on to is a poorly placed shot and tracking that animal. I think you started kind of touching on it, on your techniques of doing that, about putting a stick in the ground and circling back. Um, can you tell a story about a time where you had to, had a long track on a poorly placed shot? Yeah. So um, 
through bow hunting and through like all these different hunts, I've seen some really weird stuff go down. And so most of the time it's science. You put it lungs, heart, and liver, and they die. Uh, you miss that, and, and you don't have much of a chance. And I remember a hunt I did with my buddy Dan, and we were doing a, a high country mule deer hunt. And, um, gosh, it took us five days to see our first buck. It was really tough hunting. I had scouted really hard, hadn't found much. And so, uh, we, we were just flying by the seat of our pants, putting in a bunch of miles and finally found a, a really nice shooter buck, real wide, uh, nice velvet four point. And so we made this play on him and, uh, made it down and, and Dan actually captured the whole thing on video for me. And we got down inside my shooting range and right about then that buck stood up and I had one shot through this window of trees, and he was slightly quartering away and gave me a good shot through this window, settled my pin and executed the shot, and man, that, that arrow, I shoot these green fletchings, and they grabbed the sunlight. I saw that arrow arc all the way in and just hit that buck perfect. I mean, exactly where I wanted to hit him, quartering away, put it on him, and saw a blood spot on him, and so uh, got my eyes on the buck, and I thought he was going to tip over right there. And he ran down, and um, gosh, he, he just uh, uh, was acting a little funny there. I thought he was going to bed down, thought he was going to die. kept watching him, and this buck, he, pretty soon he starts to go over the top of this mountain, and he really starts to cruise some country. And I can see the spot where I've hit. He's got a gash right there. And um, the weirdest thing happened on this arrow, I um, – so I, I saw this gash and, you know, I just thought it was a perfect hit. I thought it's going to quarter up through him. I, you know, me and Dan talked. I said, well, you know, maybe it's a liver hit. Maybe it didn't get up in the, in the lungs up in there. I said, man, the shot looked perfect center of body and the whole deal. And so, um, we gave him some time and the sunlight and then got off, got after this blood trail and, um, man, I'm going to track this buck forever. Um, up on top of the mountain, made sense of it, uh, kept going on the ridge and, um, followed him for, you know, what was like a mile, mile and a half, two miles. And finally they, the blood trail just started to dry up. There just wasn't much of a blood trail left and kept going back to the last place and tracking him. And we spent the entire day, uh, tracking this buck. And, and finally he had gone so far and we had lost the blood trail and, uh, we had exhausted every hope. We had gridded hillsides and gridded timber and walked down. We'd been walking in the heat and in the sun all day, and it was like, man, I, you know, I don't know what happened on this buck. You know, it's like science. I know this thing can't live without its vitals. But so we started hiking back towards camp or whatever, and uh, started hiking this different route back to camp. And we were just going to drop down in the basin and then up the basin to our tent. So kind of made a, this huge circle. And coming back into camp, we jumped this buck up, and this buck was hurt in the timber, still alive, jumped him up six, eight hours later. So he had he had zigged. We had been looking in the wrong area, and he had circled all the way back around, and we jumped him, and he ran down, and then he bedded down there. And I was able to, to sneak into that bedded spot and put another arrow and finish him off. And what had happened was is I had shot this buck, and, and uh, when, when my arrow came in, my arrow like centered on a rib, and it was a downhill angle, and it slid along that rib, and it had sliced that buck, but that arrow had never entered into that buck's vitals. It had never entered into the buck. It just sliced, put a big slice down his side. And so it had centered a rib and then slid along that, lib, that rib, 
and then opened him up, and he had you know some damage from where it opened him up. It let all the the uh, pressure out of his chest cavity, and so you know it hurt him, but not bad enough to kill him right at that moment. And he would have died eventually. There just wasn't enough blood that was emptied out because no damage to those vitals. And um, you know I was just lucky that we jumped him up, and I was able to get another arrow in him, but. Man, that's like one of those one in a hundred or one in a thousand that I've seen where you place a perfect arrow and and something doesn't happen or it gets weird. I you know um, and and I was just lucky enough that I ended up recovering that buck, but it was a less than ideal shot the the way that arrow went in and uh, uh, and 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 through the diligence of trying to blood trail it. Uh, but then just blind luck of bumping into that buck coming back to camp, I was able to get him. But it, it taught me that um, it was good to learn what really happened on that buck and the science behind it. So I didn't just believe that I had made a perfect shot on that buck and he got away. Like I got to see the science behind it. Oh, man, that that broadhead hit that rib or slid along that rib and opened him up. And so, yeah, I got like a like a, a science lesson that day or whatever. But And it all all ended well. Um, and, and just super fortunate, lucky I got him. Yeah. That's an amazing story because you say it's a game of inches, but literally that's like a game of centimeters. You must've hit that rib directly in the middle with the tip of your broadhead and it it deflected straight down instead of into the vitals or, or left or right. That's amazing. I've never seen anything like it. (laughs) It's just wild. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. Um, so then the last thing that I wanted to talk about was, the the very very unfortunate events of losing an animal and i think like we said in the beginning i think this is the one that a lot of people don't really want to talk about but um, luckily brian's willing to do that so let's talk about that losing an animal and how long do you track how long when do you finally call it um there's so many different ways i think we can go with this maybe maybe we'll expand a little bit after this story but I'm thinking, you know, when do you you punch your tag? Do you not punch your tag? How do you know if you need to do that? There's a lot we can talk about here. So why don't you tell your story first, and then we'll kind of expand on this this topic. Yeah, so this is the the worst-case scenario. So this is the taboo subject that's not talked about, and it – you know, and it's for good reason as bow hunters, you know, we we don't talk about it or make it public and maybe we don't make it public enough or talk about it enough to really educate people, you know, to bring weight to the situation because as rewarding and as as um as rewarding and as good as it feels to to harvest an animal that you've worked really hard towards all year round, that's like the highest of highs and in bow hunting it's so extremely difficult. So it feels so good when you can place a perfect arrow and get that animal, but the flip of the coin is is the bad scenarios that happen and a bad scenario where you know like you say the animal can take a step uh you can you can nick a twig coming in there's there's a million different scenarios that can that can happen here and so like things can go wrong and when you lose an animal that you've placed an arrow in and you've got a wounded animal that you can't recover Man, it's, it's the lowest of lows. It'll ruin your entire season. It'll shake your confidence. It'll it'll rattle you to your core. And um, and, and so that's you, you know once you learn those those hard lessons, you, you're trying to never repeat that again. You never want to be at that low again. And so you do everything in your power to to try to place a perfect shot. But yeah, through bow hunting. You know, the the last 30 years, you know, through myself and through buddies, I've seen this scenario go down because these animals are so tough and they have such a will to live. And, 
Um, so there, there's a bunch of different scenarios that go on here that determine whether I'm going to notch my tag, uh, determine whether you know it isn't a lethal hit and um, that animal is going to survive. And everybody has to make their own decision. And it isn't my job to place judgment on anybody else. And you know, and and vice versa. You know, it's like um, I, I try to make the right decision whenever faced with it. And and um, you know, I try to do my best to put in a lethal arrow. But yeah, as far as as far as animals getting getting away, um, you know, I'd say, you know, a lot of mine and my energy with my bow, I shoot a 26 and a half inch draw length, which is pretty much like a like a woman's draw length. And so you lose about seven feet per second for every inch of draw length that you go down. And so, you know, my energy is just not the same as somebody that has a 30 inch draw length, you know, even pulling a 70 pound bow, shooting a 450 grain arrow, which my arrows have plenty of energy to kill any animal out there. But but my point is, is that my arrows do not have the energy to make it through a shoulder. Now, some guys are lucky. I've seen 30 inch draw length guys get through a shoulder of a moose before. But for me, I just have to stay away from that shoulder. And so, you know, I've learned some hard lessons about aiming. I aim four inches off that shoulder and I kind of aim middle of idols. That way, if I miss towards the shoulder, I still get the animal because I've got a little room for error there. I'm not trying to tuck it so tight to that shoulder. Um, but I'd say that's the majority of animals, you know, that that I've lost has been like a shoulder hit where I just I put one right in the shoulder. The arrow doesn't get penetration. It hits that shoulder hard, goes in a couple inches, you know, and, and falls out. The arrow doesn't get through that that animal bleeds. And, you know, and I hope that that uh, animal makes it. In fact, I've seen, you know, an elk after I've shoulder hit and uh been blood trailing him down and ran into him rutting cows again the next day and and uh he was fine he had a blood spot on his shoulder and you know i've shot bulls with broadhead holes in them um but yeah i I'd, I'd say the the absolute worst is is losing an animal and i i lost um an elk it's it's been a couple years now or a few years now i lost an elk um you know that I that I glassed down below me and spotted this nice six point bull rutting these cows and trying to figure out how I was going to get in tight to him and all of a sudden this bull just got up and left the cows and and just started heading up this canyon and so I think he was going to a wallow uh, maybe he was going to to um, find a different group of cows or somebody just split off from these cows and just started moving and so I just reacted and I started I was up above them on the ridge and started playing to try to get in front of them and caught sight of them a couple times and then got in front of them set up and he came by me and gave me a really good broadside shot and um, I put a good arrow on him I um, I executed the shot and right at the arc of my arrow like the highest arc it nipped a branch right there and then but still caught that bowl perfect in the lungs like I thought you know Gosh, I mean, center of body, maybe five eighths up, you know, a few inches back off that that shoulder, and um, I really it was a dead bull. It looked like a perfect shot. Looked like he was gonna die, and um, went down there, uh, you know, waited, gave him my forty five minutes to an hour. I told Dan, um, I had Dan, and then I had a cameraman with me, and I told Dan, I said, you know, you keep hunting, I'll find this bull. He'll be dead down here. I'll catch up with you tonight get them all butchered up here and so sent dan hunting and then um gosh i went to go trail this bowl and just unraveled into this nightmare of a blood trail where i just kept falling this bowl and he kept going and going and followed him all night till dark uh, got the headlamps out um just just trying to make sense of which way he headed and and maybe had the blood trail for 
I don't know, maybe three quarters of a mile or so, and I had an entrance and no exit, and I found my arrow. It was caked in blood. Um, sign looked good. He bled really good right away, and then it just started to dry up. And then we ended up sleeping that night just off that bowl uh, to pick up the blood trail in the morning, and then that night it rained really hard on us, um, so no chance at picking up that blood trail the next day. And, uh, gosh, we gritted that canyon, the next canyon. I think I stayed in there for, for two, three days looking for that bull, and I was just sure that bull was dead and I couldn't find him. And so, you know, there's two different scenarios that you go through here. It's like, uh, okay, did I, you know, maybe I, I hit the shoulder, you know, I followed this this deer to see if, you know, the arrow got through there, you know, and I'll follow the blood trail to the end of earth. As long as I've got blood, I'll continue to trail. Um, but, but on a shoulder hit after I follow him for a mile or two, I know that this deer isn't hit. This elk isn't hit. He hasn't bedded down, you know, that, that I'm not going to get this animal and that this animal probably isn't going to die. He's going to live. And same thing, you know, if you skin the top of the back or skin the belly or, you know, put an arrow in there, but any arrow in the vitals, in that guts, in that liver, in that, you know, anywhere in that body in there. And there's, you know, a spot in there below the spine and above the lungs that, that I've seen, you know, uh, broadhead holes in animals when I harvest them. And there's just a spot in there that, that you hit where those animals don't die. And a lot of times they recover from it. But this arrow, I just knew it was in this bowl and he was going to die. So I, I continued to look, grid the hillside. Uh, heck, I went I went back in there and looked a year later to see if I could find the bones and walk that canyon, and uh, I never did find that bowl. Uh, man, I got good penetration. That's one of those weird ones that'll always haunt me. That it's just like you know it it, it ruined my entire season that year, and it you know I don't know if there's anything I could have done different or I would do different, or there's no place that I think I didn't search. Like um, the bulls are just really tough animals, and unfortunately, you know that that happens and and when it does you just learn this hard lesson that you never want it to happen again and so you just work so hard to put good arrows in these animals and and since then you know they they've, they've all been good arrows or ended up good for me but um yeah that that one haunts me ruined that elk season and i know it had me working so hard in that off season which would be coming into to last year which i harvested you know two really nice bulls last year nice six by seven nice six by six you know, both perfect shots, both didn't make it that far, but it was the hard work the year before and this hard lesson that I learned with this bull that I lost that, that, you know, made me work so hard to, to, to be that efficient. But yeah, man, those ones are heartbreakers. Yeah. Yep. They are. Let's talk about when to notch a tag and when not to. So on that bull that you lost then three years ago or whatever it was, did you notch your tag for that bull? Yeah. It's the only year in I'd say the last 18 years I haven't killed a bull with my bow. So that, you know, I, yeah, it was, I knew that bull died and, um, you know, that was the right decision to make on that bull. But, you know, it's, it's, that's a tough decision to make. You know, you, you, um, I, I think everybody has to make their own decision and there isn't a right or wrong. And I've definitely, you know, I've hit an animal that I haven't recovered where I continue to hunt as well. Like I say, some of those shoulder hits or, um, you know, one of those shoulder hits where I hit an animal, I, I know he's going to make it. I tracked him down. I gave everything, you know, I had and didn't recover that animal and keep hunting. So I think it's like a, a real personal decision that you have to make. And, I, you know, I don't, everybody had just has to think about it and make their own. For me, like, um, 
usually it ruins my hunt if something like that happens anyways and so like uh it's it's pretty easy to to notch that tag and call it a hunt but you know i don't i don't think I just think it's such a personal decision, and I know I've gone the other way too, where it's like I've done everything right in my power. I got into my effective yardage, and you know, one out of four mule deer will jump your string. And so it's like, gosh, I got into range. I did everything right. I'm working so hard on this hunt, and and you know, here I execute this this perfect shot and keep my calm, and I'm at a good distance, and this this arrow jumps my string, and I end up you know hitting them through the hollow spot, and it's like, gosh. You know, do you notch your tag for that or not? And so I try to look at it if that animal's going to die, um, you know, or, or uh, you know, that that's where I'll notch my tag. But I but I haven't always done that, to be honest. Yeah, you're right. It is a personal decision. That was a little bit unfair for me to ask that question, probably. But the I, I think you're right. There is you'll know when you see that you see it hit that shoulder or it's just barely, you know, the arrows hanging out of the onside the entrance side and you know it's not penetrated I, I that's a pretty easy call to make but then there's that one where you you find the arrow and you know you've got you know you had a full pass through uh, i think that is it's a very tough call and it, it needs to be it's part of that analysis or the csi that you talked about right there where you need to make that decision well and i hunt a lot for meat as well and so you know i i'm out there you know to feed my family for the winter and not that it's uh, uh, you know, it is a necessity for me and my family. I had, I haven't bought meat for 20 years, and that's that's part of me spending the time outdoors is to to bring home, you know, good wild venison that that me and my family can survive the winter. So, you know, when I go out on a deer tag and it jumps my string and I get it in the shoulder or something, you know, I I put in all this work that that deer makes it. He's gonna live, you know, and I don't have any meat to bring home. It's like I. So, so there, there are some instances where I'll continue to hunt, but yeah, it's just a real personal decision. And I think I look at it and if I, if I really believe that I killed that animal and I can't recover him or I can't find him, then I feel like it's the right move to make. Uh, but there's times where it's a, it's a non-lethal hit where I know that animal is going to make it or, you know, like I, like that instance where that bull continued to rut and had a, you know, where I hit him in the shoulder the day before and, and he's fine. He he doesn't show any injuries. He's going to recover from it. It's no different than him, you know, getting a tine from a bull in a fight after cows or whatever. So he's no different. So in that situation, you know, I, I tell myself, well, I'm going to continue to hunt and see if I can be successful. That bull's going to make it. And um, so, so yeah, just different ways to go about it for sure. But um, man, it's, yeah, the, very it's, good. it's the worst case scenario for sure. Absolutely. Uh, is there anything else you want to touch on on tracking animals? Gosh, I, let's see. Tracking those animals, it's it's just paying attention to all those details. It's coming back to last sign a lot and just really trying to make sense of what happened. And uh, the minute you leave that blood trail, your odds go down drastically. And so I always try to go back to the last spot I saw blood, try to mark that blood, figure out where that animal was moving. And then you're just reading their behaviors to the, you know, going downhill. Uh, you know, if they start going uphill, like, uh, you know, that that animal is not hurt that bad. You know, they, they just don't like to go uphill when they're hurt. And if they're hurt, they're going to bed like uh, real close to where you hit them or real close, you know, if they're hurt, they're going to bed down and they're going to bleed. And so you're just trying to put all these pieces together and read this sign. Uh, but, 
I'd say really pay attention at the shot like we talked about and then um, you know try not to disturb the ground or where, where around where the tracks are and just keep coming back to that last blood as that blood trail will lead to that animal and I um, you know and and uh, believe in it too believe you're gonna find that animal and give it absolutely all your effort um, because weird things can happen and and you can definitely stumble upon that animal in a grid search or um, uh, you know, from that from that blood trail. So I think those are the most important or the key items. Gotcha. Uh, before we wrap it up, I wanted to take a few minutes too. You were talking about your bow setup earlier, and be- I, I want to talk about your setup. But I would like to say that I think a 26 inch draw is a very manly woman's draw length. <laughs> well, thanks. I'll take it. Okay. Very good. Very good. So uh, you had mentioned, tell me, tell me again, your setup, 26 inch draw and you're shooting a how, how heavy of an arrow? Yeah. So, um, you know, I've really played with arrow weights over the years. I, for me, that perfect weight um, is usually like around 425 to 475. So my arrows right now are weighing 455. And, and um, you know, I shot heavier arrows. You get more energy, more um, momentum energy, kinetic energy out of a heavier arrow. But I've also found it to be diminishing returns to where even shooting a 500 grain arrow or a 525, I still don't get through the shoulder. And what I find is, is that my pin gap gets larger at distance. And so, you know, what that does is if I'm off by a yard and I'm shooting an extremely heavy, slow arrow, that yard, you know, that can be eight inches off. And so I've got to have an exact yardage when that, when that thing's out there. And so I kind of find that if I go with like around a 450 arrow, I get the best of the energy, momentum energy, kinetic energy, and, and I've got enough kinetic energy to pass through elk at any distance. And so I've got plenty. And then also, you know, my pin gap is less. So if I get a shot at 52 or 54 and I'm off by a yard, you know, my arrow is only going to miss by three inches or, you know, and so it, it just makes for a real forgiving setup. And again, um, you know, going back to your original statement, you know, it's all about where you hit them. That's the way I treat my bows. It's all about accuracy and they're all about forgiveness. I want the most forgiving setup and I want the most accurate arrow so i can you know it's a game of inches and you just want to be on the right side of that equation so uh i i look at all my archery and all my shooting as is the most forgiving setup and so for me it's like that that 455 is what my arrow weighs now uh shoot a 125 head i get about 14 to 15 percent front of center on it so a pretty heavy front of center uh, but really anywhere in between 12 and 15 percent front of center is is fine um, and then just getting the correctly spined arrows and then um, a good sharp broadhead on the front yeah okay good that was exactly what i was hoping you that you were going to say i i really like that you talk about the diminishing returns and pin gap versus the arrow weights and I, that is very very important i think because you know, you could be shooting a 350 grain arrow and be shooting one pin out to 30, 35 yards, but then you lose a lot of that energy. So I, I think there's a, a balance that happens, has to happen there. Yep. Um, go ahead. Yep. And I think it's, um, you know, again, it's just all about where you hit them. And so I've shot a number of broadheads over the years. And, um, you know, people like to blame it on the broadhead, whether they got the animal or not. I hear so many times, you know, people blaming it on an expandable that they shot. But really, it's about where you hit those things. You can hit them with a field point. You hit them in the right spot, they're going to die. 
um, you know, I've actually had a funny scenario where I shot an animal and uh, hit the edge of that shoulder and it busted the broadhead off and then sent just the shaft through the animal. And um, it took the animal a little bit longer to die than I thought it should with a shot like that, you know, right behind the front shoulder. But there was no tip on the arrow. It was just a huh. shaft that ran through it, no broadhead. And uh, it ended up killing that animal, and he ran 200 yards, bedded. It took him, you know, a little bit longer than it should have with a double lung shot, but it's all about accuracy. And so I've seen um, – I really like expandables because they're they're so forgiving. Again, it's about accuracy and hitting them in the right spot. And, um, you know, the, the, uh, the expandables, they, they have such a small aerodynamic profile to them to where the bigger fixed blades will catch air on the front of that arrow. Um, they'll also wind drift further. So any little wind in, in any direction will wind drift that broadhead and they're just not as forgiving in the center of the group. And so I really like shooting, um, you know, expandables and I've had good luck with them, uh, you know, now I'm shooting the, the Evolution Outdoors, which has a hybrid. I've shot uh, Grim Reapers for years. I love those broadheads. Um, you know, there's a bunch of great expandables out there. And I also like an expandable, too, because you have a bigger cut diameter. So, like, the ones I'm shooting now, you know, they have an inch and five-eighths. Um, most fixed blades are going to be like an inch to inch and a quarter. And so I think that inch and five eighths, it open up, opens up and does a ton of damage. So I actually think you have a better chance on a less than perfect shot with an expandable than you do a fixed blade. Now for the fixed blade side of things is I, I like a fixed blade. Uh, they require that we shoot them in Idaho in there, and so I really work with my fixed blades a lot to get them real accurate, shooting forgiving. They do catch more wind, but what I'm looking for in a fixed blade is I want a small diameter head. So you know my fixed blades are an inch, and just the bigger they are, it's, it's more like shooting a piece of plywood on the front of your arrow as that thing's going to catch wind, which makes it less forgiving. So I find that the smaller profiles are better with those fixed blades and then um, I shoot a four blade that's um, sharpened both front and back so if I get that arrow in there you know it'll do damage as that animal runs away or whatever and um, yeah I've got a forgiving setup for these fixed blades and the nice thing about fixed blades is is it's not another moving part you know people worry about expandables opening or doing their job or glancing off an animal and and by the way that that animal that I shot in Idaho that glanced off the rib like that was a fixed blade head. It was not an expandable where the blades kicked off. But, you know, weird things can happen in archery, and shooting a fixed blade is just ensuring that that arrow is going to get in and do what it's what it's meant to do, you know, that you don't have to worry about blades opening. Also, with the fixed blade, you get a better entrance hole because those, those blades aren't trying to open as they're hitting the hide. And so, you know, with a better entrance hole, you get a better blood trail, you know. Also... The expandables, you're shooting a smaller diameter head, which penetrate better. So therefore, you have more of a chance of getting that exit hole. Now, an expandable, you know, they do more damage because they open up more, which, you know, I think can lead to it. But it, it's a real personal decision that everybody has to make. But uh, for me, it's all about accuracy and where you hit them, and either broadhead will do the job in the right spot. Yeah, very good point. Uh, last thing I've got is what hunts do you have planned for this year? How's your season looking? Oh, man, I got a fun one coming up. Yeah, I've drawn some really good tags this year. Um, gosh, I'm going to start out. I start out in Nevada here in about um, 13 days or 14 days, uh, do a, an August 10th uh, high country mule deer hunt there. 
And then I go, uh, my buddy drew a really good elk tag in Nevada. Um, so I'm going to go help him on that elk tag. Uh, then we go into um, Idaho. I drew a good early season tag in Idaho for mule deer. So I'll be hunting mule deer there. And uh, from there, jump into to Idaho elk, Montana elk. I drew a, a special tag here in Montana for archery. Um, and then, um, gosh, I go into to, I hunt the rut here in Montana, so it's a general rifle tag. I hunt it with my bow. I've got some good backpacking spots, so I'll go in and hunt the rut there and uh, finish up. I've got a late season tag in New Mexico for mule deer. So I think I've got about um, four mule deer hunts on the books, a couple elk, and uh, I also have an antelope tag here in Montana. So I've got a really busy season. I'm super fortunate. I've just structured my life to be able to take the time and go on these adventure hunts Um and so, man, I couldn't be more excited. I'm like two weeks away from uh, really cutting my legs loose and, um, yeah, uh, cruising this backcountry with my bow and arrow and seeing if I can make my dreams come true. That's awesome. Well, good luck to you. Sounds like I caught you at just the right time to get you on here and get you get it, get this recorded. Um, are you going back to Hawaii this year? No, I um I had had a trip planned for um in fact I should be there right now. It was supposed to be uh, uh July 25th to I think August 1st to hunt for mouflon sheep. Uh they canceled the hunt. They're pretty strict with their quarantine this year. Um yeah. So yeah, I wasn't able to make it this this season, but there is no way I'm missing it next year. I can't. Those axis they, they're one of the funnest animals to hunt. I mean, they're right up there with mule deer and elk for me, and I absolutely love it. And I've got uh, a bunch of really good friends out there that take good care of me, let me stay at their place, give me a vehicle to use, uh, let me hunt their good ground for these axis deer. And these axis are such a riot to hunt, and they eat so good. So there's no way I'm missing it next year. I'm going to plan a trip early in the spring or early in the summer during that axis rut and get out there, hang out with my buddies, and see if I can't chase those things around. So, yeah, I love it out there. Yeah, and that's – man, it's such good meat too. I, I killed one of them down in Texas at, on a high-fence ranch. You know, it wasn't like hunting in Hawaii, but it's some of the best meat I've ever had from that axis deer. Oh, it uh, it's my family's new favorite for sure. It 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 was antelope around the house, but ever since we've been harvesting these axis deer, um, that is just tough wild game to beat. It eats so good. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Brian, we're coming up on that hour. In fact, I think we're past it. But um, I just wanted to tell you thanks a lot for coming on and sharing some of that information and the tracking info and just telling some of your good stories. So hopefully. Hopefully here later on this year, we'll get you back on to share some of these good hunting stories, too. Oh, man, I'd love to. Yeah, thanks so much, Chad. It's really good to connect with you. Yeah, we have to stay in touch. Um, I'll, I'll release this on my side on the Eastman's Elevated. But, uh, yeah, we got to stay in touch. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Good. Thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. Yep. Thank you. All right, guys. It's a wrap. Great conversation. Chad Riker from Backcountry Rookies. Uh, he asks the tough questions, um, but these these tough questions, you know, I always like to promote bow hunting in a positive light, and so some of these are tough for me to answer. Like they're they're also, I mean, these are some of my biggest failures. I'm talking about uh, some of these failures that that you know where I didn't hit an animal right or I didn't recover an animal. Um, man, I mean, it, it, sometimes it's tough to to put myself out there, but I know being genuine, being honest, like, like that information is going to help guys out there. Like, um, 
you know, eventually, you know, this will happen to everybody where you don't hit an animal perfect. And, and this can happen with a bow or I've seen it happen just as many times with a rifle. And, um, so, you know, it's, it's tough to put myself out there sometimes, but I, if it's for the greater good of bow hunting and, and for my audience to be more successful or have a better chance at recovering game animals, like, like I'm going to talk about it. And, um, you know, even if I'm, you know, even if I'm not portrayed in the, the best light, uh, I think that that information is so beneficial. So, so much great information in this podcast. Like I say, sometimes I get done and I, I'll be on a run and be thinking back to something I said or something I talked about, or I didn't have a chance to really think through the idea and present it the way I wanted to. And so, um, you know, there, there's some, some real personal stuff in this one, but, uh, I thought it was good to release it to you guys. So thanks again to Chad Riker, backcountry rookies, a great podcast before season, that might just give you that edge of recovering that game animal. And um, so, yeah, great podcast. I want to thank our, our sponsors. I want to thank Sportsman's Warehouse. Um, and I, I also want to thank Zamberlin Boots. Um, so just great companies. Really appreciate their support. Uh, make sure to give them some love if you're in the market for some new boots or anything for your upcoming hunt at Sportsman's Warehouse. Also, thanks to Eastman's for their support, uh, support of the podcast, and um, check out the Beyond the Grid. Dan Picard just released that episode with his biggest bull to date in the Wyoming backcountry. So great episode. There's some great content on there. You can find that on YouTube, Beyond the Grid. Make sure to check out the the TV show, Eastman's Hunting TV on the Outdoor Channel. Our magazines, Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal, Eastman's Hunting Journal. I got a new article coming up in Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal all about finding those next-level bucks. Uh, it's a great article. Um, I really enjoyed writing it. Some great pictures. I'm sure it'll be a great spread when it comes out. So make sure to check out that. And check out our internet research research tool, TagHub. Um, this compiles all the data from multiple different states and species just to give you guys an idea and a feeling for what's out there. And it's so fun to take advantage of... Um, some of the, the hunts that these other states offer. And it's just about gaining the knowledge and know that you're applying for a, a good tag and going to have a good experience down there. And uh, it, it's been so beneficial to me. I, I use the the Eastman's Tag Hub and the MRS and, and just great intel on, on these different hunts in different states. So absolutely awesome. I am just getting back. I've been hunting here for the last two, three weeks. So fortunate I... Um, just get some time from the construction company here and uh, really been chasing critters around and then come home and take off a day or two and reset and, and go back out. So um, just the hunting season of my dreams here so far, able to arrow that, that good buck and that early season hunt. Uh, so that was fun. Thanks to, thanks for you guys to, thanks to you guys for listening to the recap and um, listening to, to all the podcasts. Really. I really appreciate the support. It's what makes this thing go. So Thanks, you guys. I'm pulling for your success this season. Uh, work hard. Leave it all out there. Uh, I'm just getting back from um, uh, an elk hunt. Uh, I was with my buddy Dan. He drew a good tag. And, you know, there's just no guarantee on these hunts. You know, even drawing a good tag 
we had a great experience. We hunted the deep in the wilderness, and I'll I'll do a recap podcast. I'll um I'll get Dan on there as we're we're just getting ready to leave for another deer hunt. But I'll do a recap kind of that that elk hunt and then a deer hunt. But um we did not fill that fill his tag. He was looking for a a good six point his his best six point to date with his bow and took us a while to find him in the smoke but finally got into him and and we got quite a few plays on these bulls i mean five six plays on these bulls it's just circumstance they just had us beat uh dan drew a couple times almost had a shot never loosed an arrow got on some great bulls um really turned them up we had a great experience hiking deep in the backcountry and um remote gnarly canyons i mean one stock we made on elk it seemed like we were hunting goats with the cliffs we had to climb and things and then got dark and we had just this long trek back to the to the truck with the headlamps you know navigating through those steep cliffs and then back up the other side of the drainage and just some some awesome experiences just um some some good three-day trips um you know, where we backpacked in and chased those bulls. Like I say, we got some great plays, tried to be patient, tried to get the win right, tried to make the right moves, but um, they uh, they won out on this trip. So, um, you know, all I can tell Dan is, is like uh, effort pays off and, and continually putting forth that effort, eventually it'll work out. And as much as I'd like to be 100% on my hunts, I just know that that's not the reality, you know, that, that these can humble you at any time, and especially with a bow and arrow, especially on public ground, you know, even in a, a premium unit. So um, if we keep putting forth the effort, I know we'll kill Dan a bull. We'll, you know, he's got a, a couple other chances this year, and so we'll just keep hunting hard, and it's just the way it is. It's uh, backcountry bow hunting, and success is not guaranteed. Um, so... That's, uh, you know, always tough to swallow failures, but just the, the way it is. Um, so uh, headed to the next one, uh, we've got some deer hunt. It's going to be, it, it's not high country, which is different for me. It's a lot of um, like like foothills or, um, you know, basically like big, vast sagebrush canyons and coolies and um, ribbon cliff rocks and sparse cover. So should be a great time. Can't wait for it. I'm going to do a... A quick trip, maybe four days or so, and then come back. My uh, cousin has a wedding. Who gets married in September anyways? That should be illegal. <laughs> but um, it's my own choice, you know. I'm sure I could, you know. My my family's traveling out, and uh, wife and kids are, are so good at understanding all my travels every year. So it's the least I can do is be back for a wedding. But seriously, who has a wedding September 5th? But, uh, oh well, I'll rouse him at the wedding. That's about all I can do. So uh, I'll come back, do that, do that, and and then I've got a few more days I can spend out there for that tag. So, um, man, doesn't get any funner in season. And it just gives me such great perspective in my life, too, just to be able to think about everything, my my job, my work, my and then really my family and, and my daughters and making sure that I'm, I'm being as good a dad, as good a husband as I can be, and... Um, God, it just gives me such clarity in my life. I just absolutely love the fall. I love that I get to chase my dreams in the mountains and and go super hard and have the time to do it. Just so fortunate. So, um, man, I appreciate all the support, you guys. I'll try to keep you updated. I'll I'll try to post on social media here a little bit and um, try to capture some of it and um, 
keep getting out these good podcasts to you guys, uh, good information for season, during season, um, and and um, keep on keeping on. So thanks, you guys. I appreciate you. Good hunting.